There's another one, Popterity, yeah. that's been advertised by, that's is it right. by Lyft, right? Lyft, which is really masquerading again as a virtue. What's it going to do? Well, what they say is, we're going to tax the rich. We're going to tax them at 1.75% on top of everything else they already pay. It's a strange that Lyft would want to push an, an initiative like this. A lot of people looking at that 1.75% tax break are going to respond in one of two or three ways. They're going to move their businesses entirely, or they're going to simply pass along that tax hike if they own a business to who? Consumers. It will drive the California exodus, that is the departure of many, many wealthy people and their businesses out of California. My guest today is Will Swain, president of the California Policy Center and an award-winning journalist. He has written extensively about California politics, business, media, and religion. Everybody is trotting out a, what would you call it, a, a virtuous end for their proposal, but at bottom, it's as always in politics, right? It's there are self-interested groups, incumbent powers trying to gain new market share. What are the ballot measures we Californians are going to vote on this year? What's hiding behind the titles and short summaries? Let's find out in today's episode. I'm Siamai Kurami. Welcome to California Insider. Thank you. Such a pleasure to be here. We want to talk to you this, about these ballot propositions. Every election cycle, we have a number of ballot propositions from California State, and they're usually very confusing. We don't have enough time to learn <laughs> about them. And we get all these ads, yes on this, no on that, but we don't really understand. So we would want to hear from you. You've done some studies on this. Can you tell us what are on these ballots this year? Sure. Um, I think one of the things that's most fascinating about California, we're not unique in this, but we're pretty rare. This is a century-old ability of the public to go out and create an initiative to work around the state legislature. And that has become much more important as the legislature is dominated increasingly, not just by one party, the Democrats, but by one wing of that party, right? So there is a super majority in the state legislature right now. Supermajority is a fancy word in public policy for the Democrats can pass anything they want. And while they're in control, they've passed rules and regulations that make it even harder for Republicans or independents, if there were any, to push any kind of bill. So they've created this big block, an obstacle in our legislative process. The steam valve, if you will, the pressure valve is the initiative process, which sadly has become dominated by a few very special interests. And we'll get into some of that. But we've got seven initiatives on the ballot in November. Uh, this is a very big election in California and in the nation, of course, November, uh, in November of 2022. And the seven, of the seven, one of them is a constitutional amendment which was placed on the ballot by the very same legislature I just described. That's the abortion uh, constitutional amendment. It, it would become a, it's, it's called Proposition 1. It would, it would create a constitutional right to abortion up to the moment of childbirth. Most Americans, most Californians are somewhere in the gigantic middle of not wanting to outlaw abortion or wanting to have no limits on abortion. This initiative, Proposition 1, is a no limits. There are no limits. It, it, it is almost like the First Amendment, which says Congress shall make no law um, regarding the freedom of speech or you know, uh, a religion, etc. Um, that's what this abortion amendment does. Now, just in the interest of full disclosure, you know, all these things we'll talk about 
I'll tell you what, what my own personal bias is so that nobody's under the mistaken impression that I'm, I'm like completely neutral on this. I'm not, but I, I, I think I'm fair. We would like to hear both sides of the yeah. argument so that our audience sure. can understand what's, what, yeah. what is. So this, the, the pro side on Proposition 1, that is the side that says we need a constitutional amendment to protect abortion. What they say is we have to do this because there's no longer a federally guaranteed right to abortion under Roe v. Wade. That was overturned. Uh, all of your viewers, your readers know that by now. Um, what they say is important, therefore, is to protect a woman's right under any circumstance to determine that she can end her pregnancy because it's her body that's at stake. That's their argument. My argument is, and again, this is just me being transparent. I'm a, I'm a Catholic boy and I, I am hardwired to be very skeptical on the one hand of abortion, to, to in fact find it tragic at best. Um, and I, you know, I am, I'm, I'm very moderate in the sense of sort of recognizing the political reality. I'm not, I can't persuade my wife where to go for dinner. I'm not likely to persuade 40 million Californians or 17 million voters or whatever the number turns out to be that they should just agree with me on the subject of abortion. It's a very nuanced issue. And I get that, you know, a woman's got the greatest burden in this. Have you ever heard the old joke uh, in, in America? There's a joke that says uh, a pig and a chicken say we're you know this one no, they're going to no, no, go into one. business okay. together the yeah. pig says let's get into business together we're going to start a diner we're going to serve just breakfast and the chicken says uh, i'm sorry it's the chicken who says the chicken says let's start a diner <laughs> and the and the chicken and the pig says well, what's what, what are we going to serve and the uh, the chicken says well i'll provide the eggs you provide the ham and the bacon <laughs> and the pig says you know i think i've got more at stake in this fight than you have right so what i think the proposition misses is this nuance that it's not just a woman's body, obviously, right? There's something else, another life at stake here. And if government is for anything, I would argue, it's to protect those who can't necessarily protect themselves, right? The minorities, so we don't have a tyranny of the majority. Um, so this constitutional amendment, I think, it represents the most radical expression of the pro-choice side and says it's, there, there is no other entity involved. It's only the woman who has a right to choose here. The unborn child, or fetus as they like to call it, um, isn't alive, it's not voting, it's the woman's right and only the woman's right. So there's so much nuance here. You and I aren't gonna resolve the mm -hmm. abortion debate here in a conversation. And people have their own opinions. They do. Yeah. yeah, so I think the last, you know, the, the real question to ask is, do you think that this constitutional amendment, which means it cannot, the government cannot come in in any way and regulate the, the right of a woman to choose. Nothing. The government cannot do anything. It is the most anarchic or libertarian perspective. I have friends who are libertarians who side this way. I have other friends who are libertarians who are skeptical of government power who say, hey, wait a minute, there is another being alive in there who also has rights. So we're trying to balance these two, I think, really critical claims um, of, of the right to life. The woman has a right to life also. I totally grant that. The question is, do Californians really want almost a, an inability of the government to regulate in any way a woman's access to abortion? Does the, does the unborn child have any claim at any time, up to the minute of birth, which is how this initiative is written? Um, that's the dilemma for all of us to try to resolve on this. And I think that, 
you know, probably there are reasonable arguments on both sides that would be shut down immediately by this constitutional amendment. No more 15 weeks or 16 weeks or anything like that. It's just up to the moment of pregnancy, the woman has a right to choose. What about other propositions? What else? Sure. We've got two propositions on gambling, 26 and 27. To understand them both, let's start with 27 first. Um, these are, if you watch television, the ads now are starting to, to, to crescendo. Yes, right? they're going seen, back and forth. Yes. Yeah. Um, we see Native Americans saying, you know, we're a proud and independent people, and we've got this one thing that allows us to achieve a kind of prosperity and human flourishing. It's called a gambling, you know, gambling enterprise. Or they always call it gaming when they're, when they're for this. It's just gaming. Uh, if you oppose it, but you, you lose money. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a game in which you almost always lose. Um, but you know, this also, as with abortion, there's a personal value choice here as well. Do you like gambling? Do you like gaming, as you might prefer to call it? Are you more libertarian? You think the government has no right to limit people's right to gamble? Are you a, more of a social conservative? You think, hey, gambling gets into all kinds of trouble. Well, you know, people get themselves into financial difficulties and they ruin their families. It can destroy communities then. You ruin the individual, you ruin the family, you ruin the family, you ruin the community, and then the state collapses, right? That's the social conservative argument. But let's just acknowledge that right now we've got <clears throat> gaming or gambling, as you prefer to call it. And what 27 does, it, it's backed primarily by an online gambling or a company called uh, DraftKings. And people have probably, if you watch any sports as I do, you see their ads you know, frequently. You can make money, you can gamble, download our app, and you can bet and win. So DraftKings got together with a few select California tribes who are the most likely to be opposed to online gambling. You can imagine why. Mm -hmm. If I own a casino and suddenly people don't have to go to my casino to gamble on sports, to bet on sports, they can just sit in the comfort of their own living room and do it on their phone, well then I'm gonna lose some business. So DraftKings, brilliantly, got these five very large casino, you know, tribal casinos to back them. So here's how it works, you're gonna love this. Proposition 26 says, uh, 27 rather says, this is the DraftKings initiative, let's call it, says you can download the app anywhere. I'm sorry, you can download the app, but only on the casino, casino properties, properties of these five selected tribes, right? So there's the kind of the, the trade-off, the quid pro quo between the major players behind this initiative. Um, so they, you, you go to the casino, literally you step onto tribal land in California for these five tribes, you download the app, then you go home and it's all cool. Um, now, 27, Proposition 27 is also a casino gambling Do you mean 26 or 27? D 27 is the first one I described, yeah. the DraftKings initiative. The DraftKings initiative. Sorry, yeah. did I yeah. screw that yeah. one up? So no. in 26, you go, you get all these, uh, these tribal casinos that are not included among those five tribes that cut a deal with DraftKings for this thing. Um, and they say, no, 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 this will destroy our model. They have connected with horse tracks in California, like Los Alamitos or you know, Hollywood Park or whatever, to say that, okay, you can gamble there um, and you can gamble on our property, but no to this online thing. And oh, by the way, we're also, there's a little provision buried in there that says we're gonna close all the non-tribal owned 
card clubs, they're called. I don't know if you're familiar with these card yeah, clubs. Yeah, yeah, You can go up to like in Southern California. They're randomly in different places. Yes, yeah. Yeah. right. So you've got them up famously on the 710 corridor. That's the freeway that runs right from mm -hmm. the port of Long Beach up through most of LA County. And you can go to these card clubs like the Hustler Club or you know any one of these other clubs. And you can play cards there and other games. So um, this effort with the horse tracks to shut down card clubs and the casinos that is embedded in 26 is a way to counter 27. 27, the online gambling. I know this gets very confusing. And the 27, they want to give some tax to the yes, homeless. Yes, thank you for reminding me. Yeah, yeah, that's the interesting payoff here because the way this will be advertised, you have, you have dialed right in. Uh, man, it's just, what they've said is this money will go to, for example, a, a variety of, of causes. progressive causes. The most important of which at the moment, the one that's polling well for them, is we're going to reduce homelessness. Everybody's concerned about homelessness. But we're going to trot out homeless people and we're going to say, wow, look at how you know, miserable their lives are and this is unfair. If you vote for 27, the DraftKings initiative. We're going to solve homelessness. We're going to solve homelessness. <laughs> we're going to take all the tax dollars we generate out of gambling online and in these five select casinos, and we're going to tax like crazy, and we're going to solve homelessness. We're not going to solve homelessness. This is a, a fig leaf covering the, the fact that it's just really powerful gaming interests that want you to do this. And oh, by the way, if you give this, we'll give you some candy too, a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go down. So both of these are about powerful, embedded interests who are trying to appeal. On the 27 side, it's we're going to resolve homelessness. On the 26 side, it's, you know, we are a proud Native American people who have been harmed by the arrival of Europeans here, and you owe it to us to protect our right to have these gambling. Well, look at how well we do. It serves our tribal community. They, too, talk about homelessness and alcoholism and drug abuse and lack of education on their sovereign territories. Um, so everybody is trotting out a, what would you call it, a, a virtuous end for their proposal. But at bottom, it's as always in politics, right? It's, there are self-interested groups, incumbent powers trying to gain new market share. So those are the two really high profile initiatives that are, or the three rather, the abortion and then these two casino initiatives. And then Let's just talk about a couple of others, and you'll pardon my rattling of papers here. Yeah, that one is Prop Terity. There's another one, Prop yeah. Terity, that's been advertised by, that's is it right. by Lyft, right? Lyft, L-Y-F-T, Lyft. Everybody now knows Lyft and Uber and that sort of thing. Um, what's interesting about this is that, of course, Lyft has already been a victim of government overreach in the form of Assembly Bill 5. Everybody knows Assembly Bill The contractor Bill 5. law, right? The there. contractor law. You can't be an independent contractor because then you're going to be exploited. That one was pushed by the government unions, right? So the government unions and the private sector unions wanted to make sure that anybody who lifts up so much as lifts a pencil or moves an electrical cord or sits at a desk is unionizable, if you will. They're a fair target for unionization. So AB5 attempted to make all these independent contractors into full-time employees. Well, Lyft, this was aimed at Lyft and Uber. They really saw, the, the union guys did, they really saw this as a way... As an opportunity to create another union, right? The you got big it. one. Right? First you make them full-time employees, and then you demand unionization for them. So we could talk about that one all day as well. But the bottom line is now Lyft is coming into this effort, which is really 
masquerading again as a virtue. What's it going to do? Well, what they say is, we're going to tax the rich. Well, you know, the argument among most people who are middle class and poor in California is the rich don't pay their fair share. That is a very powerful argument. It's not true. Uh, the rich in California, it's something like, I want to say, 5% of Californians pay more than 50%. These are the 5% five rich, five yeah. richest Californians already pay more than half of all tax revenue in California. The result has been, uh, you and I know this because we, we work around, we talk to lots of people out there in the world. The rich are simply leaving California yeah. in many cases. And Why? they're pretty mobile, too. They're, the they're, they're mobile. wealthier. They, can, they have homes in other places. Yes. They just, just pack is, up and leave. Yeah, this is a Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren fantasy that somehow we're going to tax these people and they won't leave. They won't go. Well, they are going. And as they go, we are damaging the California economy. They take their businesses with them. We've, we've seen the, they take jobs with them, too, some they of these people. They take their jobs, and ironically, they take their tax revenue. They take the amount of money that they would be paying on taxes in California, and they just move it to Texas or Florida or Tennessee or wherever. So Lyft has this new idea. They want to tax the rich in order to support what they say is the clean economy. And we have to unpack that in a moment. But for the moment, they say what they really want is they want more electric vehicles. They want this money to pay for subsidies that will allow for more uh, electric cars, for instance. You can imagine why Lyft is in interested in this, because they have drivers out there. They would love to virtue signal on the one hand. Look at us. We're for, the, we're for climate change. You know, we are, we're, we're against climate change. We want climate provisions. We want more electric cars. Uh, and we're going to do that only by taxing the wealthiest, you know, the top increment of California uh, taxpayers. We're going to rate, we're going to tax them at 1.75% on top of everything else they already pay. Well, as you and I have already described, a lot of people looking at that 1.75% tax break are going to respond in one of two or three ways. They're going to hire better CPAs and make sure they don't pay that tax. They're going to move their businesses entirely. Uh, or they're going to simply pass along that tax hike if they own a business to who? Consumers. Who are consumers? Everybody who ever drives in any kind of car or rents an apartment from some wealthy person in California who has to pay that, that differential in the tax rate. It will have, I, I would argue, it will drive the California exodus. That is the departure of many, many wealthy people and their businesses out of California. Um, Lyft is gambling that people will buy, that it's only the rich who will pay this tax. Uh, I got news for you. That you know this. The rich don't pay taxes in the same way that everybody else does. They are more mobile, as you described. They have better CPAs than we do. They will pass along. If they stay and pay the tax, they will shift that onto the backs of the consumers who buy their products and services. It's a strange that Lyft would want to push an, an initiative like this. Like It doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, it does when you know that, you know, as you and I have discussed, they have a, they're operating under a mandate right now to to transform their, their drivers, to move those drivers out of gas cars, you know, internal combustion engine cars into electric cars. This would shift the cost of that transfer, the cost of the mandate imposed on Lyft and Uber and a variety of truckers, et cetera. This would transfer the liability to the consumer. Right, to the to, to the, the state, taxpayer, to, to the, the taxpayer, state. which That's is the, they, they want to tax the wealthy. That's to do right. That. Yeah. We'll, in other words, Lyft is saying, we'll go ahead and make sure that 90% of our fleet is actually electric, uh, but you're going to pay for it, right? So there is, a, again, the power of a very big corporation that once is operating under a mandate and then does the next natural thing. Let's get somebody else to pay for the mandate, right? So this is the cascading uh, result 
of a mandate. We're going to shift everything to the new electric economy. And Lyft says, okay, we're not going to win that battle, so let's so just let's make just the taxpayers and, pay for it. And, and this is a strange thing about this is that Governor Newsom, teacher unions, and uh, Republicans, and, uh, and Taxpayer Association, Howard Jarvis, they yes. are all together against this. That's correct. And there's a group of other unions and CAL FIRE that are, that are for. That's correct. Well, let's talk about Newsom for a sec because he's among the most interesting players here. He opposes this. Gavin Newsom is telling the environmentalist crowd uh, who really want this, like a load of environmentalists are behind this. Yes, tax the rich and make the air cleaner. Newsom knows that the problem here is that he's in a battle. He is looking forward to 2024 and the possibility that he will be facing Ron DeSantis. And if DeSantis follows through on what he's been doing already, which is to say to Gavin Newsom, you and I are headed for a showdown, you're destroying your economy. And people are leaving your state to come to mine. Business owners are coming to my state. They're leaving California in part because of tax pressures. So Newsom seeing this wants to establish himself as the moderate he may actually be in real life, but it doesn't matter because in pretend life in the theater of politics, he's a lefty, a progressive, who is creating a world-class clean air economy in California. But he knows that in the next 10 years, he's going to be beaten with this kind of policy. So he's opposed it. This allows him to sort of wink at it and say, you guys go ahead and do what you're going to do, but I'm going to publicly have to say that I'm, I, I don't support it. So that's Newsom, I think. Um, and I think that's borne out by a lot of the research. Um, and then you have the teachers who are opposed to this. The teachers union opposes this because it increases taxes on a group they would like to be able to tax for the teachers union, right? <laughs> so this is our they money. They want to save it yes. to their own. <laughs> yes, this is our money, not yours, Lyft, not yours, uh, Cal Fire. Uh, and mentioning Cal Fire as you did, this is the state fire authority that is constantly battling wildfires. And whatever one thinks of as the cause of these wildfires, whether it's the climate is warming, which is true enough, um, or whether it's just mismanagement of our forests, national and state, um, Cal Fire wants more money too. So just as the teachers union is saying, no, 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 that's our money, Cal Fire is saying, we're glad to be part of this new tax because that's now our money if this thing wins, right? So the union that represents CAL FIRE is right behind this initiative. So the special project. interests are fighting over the money. That's right. And, they're using, and they want to tax the, the people correct. that are... And they're using climate change as their argument on the one side, the CAL FIRE and Lyft side, but they both have their own financial interests. And on the other side, it's the teachers who are going to say, oh my gosh, this is badly thought through and it will destroy education. They're just going to say, this is a boondoggle for Lyft. They're already starting to get that messaging out there. You can see it. This is a boondoggle. It's going to give Lyft millions of dollars. It's a subsidy to them, which it is. But why are they saying this? Because they want that money, right? And then you've got Newsom saying, please, everybody just stop. If I have to go to war with, with uh, Ron DeSantis in the 2024 general election, I don't want to be hobbled by the legit ac accusation that I've taxed all of California's entrepreneurial and business class right out of the state. Excellent. Now let's move on to the next one. What, what else is there? Yeah, let's, let's talk about, we've, we're, we're getting down to the, the smaller items. Let's talk about proposition, uh, propositions 28 and 29. 28 is school arts funding, and we're right back. And, and who doesn't want kids to engage in the arts, right? Uh, I, arts are wonderful. Nobody disagrees. The question is, 
why does California need more money under Proposition 28 for arts? Well, this is the easier, softer way in for the teachers union to say, we want more money for ourselves, right? They want to have 1% of the budget go to the arts, something That's correct. of the whole budget. Of the whole budget. Now, keep in mind that in California, the teachers union already fought for and won 40% of general funding must go immediately to education. They've already got that. 40% of our budget, more than that this year, because we had COVID dollars pouring in and Newsom gave part of his magical surplus. We can dig into that if you'd like. A surplus that doesn't exist, by the way. I just want to say that, and if you want to talk about it, we can. But they, now they're saying, well, we need 1% more. Um, in addition to the 40% we've got and all this additional funding that we've been given over the last couple of years with COVID and with Newsom's surplus, we want 1% in perpetuity to go into education. So you hold up the promise of arts education as a way of saying, you know, the more we can tax, the, you know, we can charge the taxpayers to support education, the better off we are as teachers going to negotiate. Because now we can say, hey, we just passed arts funding. Now you've got a little bit of pressure released because we've just brought in more revenue. Give us a pay increase. That will follow almost immediately. We've already seen a spate of school teacher strikes toward the end of this last school year where teachers in Sacramento, for instance, Yeah, we had a, they had the strikes like That's correct. a few months ago. Yes. And what did they hold up? There's a surplus and there's more money coming. We just don't have enough money. Can you clarify that, that surplus? It's, it's the pensions that we owe, right? Do you are correct. Yeah. So when Gavin Newsom says we've got a roughly $100 billion surplus on this, this year's budget, what he does not want to account for is how much the state and local governments already owe in the form of promises made to public employees in their retirement. This is called unfunded liabilities. A liability, a thing that you owe, unfunded means you don't have enough money to pay it. So Newsom doesn't want to count the roughly 1.7 trillion, not billion, not million, trillion dollars, 1.7 trillion dollars we owe on bond debt in this state and more importantly, those unfunded liabilities for healthcare and pensions payable to government retirees, cops, firefighters, teachers, the DMV workers, the folks who work for CAL FIRE and others, right? So we're not paid up there. We're at a high 60% of what we owe to these people. That is to say, we are about 40, 30% underfunded on what we have said by law, we're gonna pay these public employees when they retire. So. Newsom is a little bit like the guy who says, you know, like, look, I'm bringing in $200,000 a year. I'm rich. Uh, but then you look at his credit card debt. You look at his mortgage payment. You look at the fact that he's got a car payment and you realize the cash balance for this guy is actually not solvent. He is bankrupt. And now he's using his credit cards to pay off the next big thing. So that's how California works. It's like a credit card junkie. So this is just another scam by the teachers union. They have found the, the soft underbelly. You know, using the, art and it using seems arts. very, yeah. Yes, who doesn't want arts for children? What are you, a monster? So um, it's, a, it's a great scam. Um, I, I acknowledge them for their cleverness and creativity. It's a little bit like when your kids are sent off to school in the public schools. Uh, I was part of my little local PTA very briefly. And I had a teacher who explained to me that at the beginning of every year, we want people to bring in things like paper towels and pencils and crayons as a way of illustrating how little money we have to get the, the ordinary parent to think, wow, my, my school doesn't have enough money for toilet paper. This is terrible. And then you hear the next bond initiative come through where the teachers say we need more money and you're already prepped 
by the exercise of going to the store and paying $40 for, I don't know, copy paper and crayons to give to your child to take to school the next day. And you think, wow, I'm having to pay this because my school, the rich aren't paying their fair share mm -hmm. and we need higher taxes. So it's, it's a phenomenal exercise in political theater to hold up arts and say we don't have enough money when in fact we're way behind on what we already owe the teachers because they've been so aggressive, the unions have. The teachers, I'm sure, are great, but as a union, they are corrupt in their hearts. So I would, I would just point out that you know, the most important thing here to keep in mind is that California pays more per student right now in our K-12 schools than any other state in the union, and we are ranked right near the bottom of all public school systems in America, down there with some of the poorest states in the country, like Mississippi and Louisiana. We pay far more per student than any other state, and our results are among the worst. Uh, right now in California, about 70% of our students can read at grade level, and about 10% can perform math at grade level. Uh, to which the teachers union will say, if they're out there listening right now, the teachers union leaders will tell you, oh, but Will, CMAC, we, we are working with such a difficult situation. We've got kids from poor economic income backgrounds. We need even more money than you're already giving us. It may be a result. It may be that we, have, that we pay more, but we're dealing with kids who come from you know, English learner backgrounds, recent immigrants. I would say, God bless you, but you failed for 40 years with those same demographics in place, and you haven't done a good job. Let's try, let's try parent choice. Let's let the parents choose where they want their kids to go to school. They can't hear that. They cannot hear that. Uh, so what they do is they, uh, they hold up arts, and they say, vote for this. It's a small thing. 1% is all yeah. we're asking. Just 1%. Uh, yeah. So I would just admonish people, just be aware of how much we already spend, how much we already Which owe. means billions, that 1%. At 1% of a California budget, which is now at about couple, 300 yeah, billion. Two to three billion dollars. Yes, we're talking a lot of money. So that's that one. And the other one I, I just love, because this is a perennial on the ballot. Um, this, is, uh, this is Prop uh, 29, and it's backed by the Service Employees International Union. And it says what we really need are more um, medical experts in dialysis clinics. Now, dialysis is a way of, and, and many of your listeners will already know this, so I'm, I'm speaking really to the few who don't, but dialysis clinics are almost everywhere right now. You can walk in if you're a cancer patient, for instance, or a per, another person who needs a, a, uh, an external machine, basically, to help purify your, your body after some pretty serious medical uh, difficulties. And right now you can walk in, it's, it's like going to the gas station basically, it's that uncomplicated. You go in, you show your, your prescription basically, they hook you up, you're cleaned up, and you go. SEIU, Service Employees International Union, one of the largest unions in California, we could go on for days about how difficult you know, it is to operate with this union. They, they too want a bigger market. They want to see more people working in these facilities to become union members. That's the only thing that they've got going for them. They, Isn't they, that going to increase the cost? It will increase the cost substantially. To the patients. To the patients who are then the insurers, right? It will cost more for them. For those who aren't on insurance, you know, because they can't afford it, it'll go to the state, so it'll raise the cost of business in, for the state. 
Um, and of course, having new union members, however, will pay off for SEIU and other unions because they have new members that they can then tax. They did have this on the ballot uh, last time, right? Fair point. But the two last times. 20, yeah. It was in 2020 and 2018. Is there a reason they're talking about this? Has there been incidents when, because there's no doctor there, there's incidents? I'm sure that in any medical practice, any practice at all, on a baseball field, at a kid's carnival, you are going to find incidents, but they are infinitesimal. They are super small and rare. Um, but they will trumpet those. That, you know, once one person went in and arguably were injured by a facility. That happens in the world. Um, adding a medical professional into that at tremendous cost, plus staff to support that medical professional, will simply jack up the cost with no marginal increase in quality. This is, this is not our, they will argue it, but it is inarguable that this is one of the easiest, low cost, decentralized, non government run programs that we've got for healthcare. This will make sure that the state now controls it through a government union, SEIU. There's one more left, is the yes, flavored is. tobacco, right? That's Proposition 31. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, that's the last one on the ballot this time out. And uh, this is an initiative by a number of groups who want to, and, and you know, there, there's some argument to be made on their side. They want to eliminate flavored tobacco, especially, you know, like vape pens and that sort of thing. People are doing them everywhere, right? Does yeah. It, yeah. But it's not just that. They're going after cigarette companies, manufacturers who flavor their tobacco with, say, menthol. Um, menthol is interestingly um, more widely used, more popular in the African-American community. So the argument on the, on the side of the proponents of Prop 31 is menthol addicts the black community uh, at a higher rate than it does anybody else, so we have to get rid of menthol. Um, I'm not a cigarette smoker, so I don't have a dog in this, you know, the, the flavor fight. But the argument is now that it's racist, that what these companies are doing is to trying to trap young kids and minority communities into becoming addicted to their product. Um, it is a very patriarchal, kind of patronizing even, argument on the part of the left and the folks who support Prop 31 to argue that people have no choice in the, in the smoking, uh, you know, in, in choosing to smoke cigarettes. And uh, you know, tobacco's addictive, got it. Um, and making it flavorful is likely, perhaps, to attract some people. But we already have laws on the books that say that young people can't smoke until they're 18. There have been some proposals to move to 21, of course. Uh, maybe we've even got that. I'm totally blanking now on whether the limit now is actually 21 because there's some initiative there to push, not on this ballot, but there's been some impulse to push that, to raise the age at which you can smoke. Um, but we have laws in the books that already prohibit young people from smoking. Well, clearly that's not working. What makes you think that they won't simply smoke or find alternatives that are worse? And find an illegal way of getting An illegal it. way of, of achieving their, their nicotine buzz with flavorful tobaccos elsewhere. So, so I'm a no on that one too, just to be transparent. So we have all these propositions and people need to now do, do more research and actually use this to... Yeah, I hope, you know, I, neither you nor I are asking people who watch our conversation here to just, you know, follow down and do what we say, much as I'd like to have everybody just do what I say. <laughs> That's the human impulse, <laughs> am I right? Everybody should just do what I do and then we'd all be happier. Um, but as I've told you, I can't get my wife to agree on, uh, on dinner. So... Um, this is a, there's nuance here and it really does depend on your listeners' 
um, you know, personal beliefs about how the world ought to work. You know, should, do we want more government? A lot of these initiatives are more government. Do we want to pay higher costs or will that diminish the quality of life in California, make it harder for poor people to live here? Yeah. You know, the rich always have options. They, they, as I said, they can hire better CPAs, they can shift the cost to their consumers, they can move out of state. Um, it's the middle class that's getting hammered by this and most importantly, the poor who are constantly scrambling to keep up with the cost of living in California and finding it increasingly hard to do that. Um, and so it looks like this messaging that's done in the advertising is very carefully drafted and people study our emotions and then they come after our emotions. That's right. And then they use it to get what they want. You've so got it. And behind it is a powerful special interest that really has a completely different sort of uh, perspective on who needs to get paid first. Them. Do you have any other thoughts, Bill? Well, the one thing I would just ask people, you and I are recording this just before the end of the legislative session, and I would ask people to take a look at Assembly Bill 257. That was authored by Lorena Gonzalez, the author of Assembly Bill 5, which we've already discussed. 257 would create a government commission that manages all fast food workers, that it basically represents them as if they were a union. The next step will be that they all become union workers. Uh, Assembly Bill 257, not on the ballot, it's moving through the assembly right now. Looks like Newsom may oppose this one too, because again, 2024 is coming for him, but it's being pushed by the unions who really wanna see fast food workers unionized and have struggled to do that. So they're gonna have a big government union basically. So the cost it. of fast food will go up. The cost of fast food will go up. Uh, the franchisees who run these, who are typically just independent entrepreneurs who kind of hit that first level of the, the entrepreneurial rung and they've gotten some cash together with their family and they buy a McDonald's or they buy a, you know, a Starbucks franchise to the extent those are still available out there. Um, those people are going to shift to better technologies that eliminate workers, eliminate jobs in other words. We have already seen that all these attempts by the government to make these lower level entry jobs better paying jobs backfire. The technology implications are instantly obvious. You go to an ATM now and you punch in your, your, you know, what you want your bank to give you. You never see a teller. I can't tell you the last time I went to go see an actual banker in a bank. We use our phones. We use our ATM machines. That's how these franchises, franchisees, these, you know, these companies that run fast food businesses, these little independent con people who run these businesses are going to respond with better technology and fewer jobs. We will eliminate jobs and make it harder for poor people to get out of the cycle of poverty by climbing on that first rung of the ladder, my first job, right? Um, as with so many progressive policies, this one will end up eliminating jobs and reducing the quality of life for the, the, the lowest, you know, the most marginal members of our society. And it'll also produce what the left calls food deserts, right? You'll see some franchises just close their businesses and move out. They won't be able to sustain this cost. Will Swain with California Policy Center. It was great to have you on California Insider. It's always my pleasure, brother. You know that.